Welcome to Retention Chronicles, a podcast sponsored by Malomo, a shipment tracking platform that helps e-commerce brands turn order tracking from a cost center into a profitable marketing channel. On this week of Retention Chronicles, we are joined by Chandler Dutton, Director of Retention at Magic Spoon, which is a fun, healthy, gluten-free, high-protein, and low-to-no-sugar cereal DTC brand. They strive to really bring their consumers back to eating cereal when they were a kid, while not jeopardizing the taste and nutrition of their products. We are thrilled to have Chandler on the podcast. He is truly a retention expert and talks about both the technical and philosophical side of customer retention. Magic Spoon is also a brand that is super successful in both their ad hoc purchases and their subscription program. He talks about how their goal changes depending on who the customer is. He also talks about curating flavor profiles that might play into customer retention and the strategy that they are rolling out because choice is a positive thing, but it can also be a friction point for customers. Chandler advises people to look at data that is actionable. He stresses the importance of being able to step back and compress it down and into a few takeaways to truly unlock your best customer retention strategy. I really enjoyed this episode and I hope you do as well. Welcome. And today we are joined by Chandler at Magic Spoon. Welcome Chandler and thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me. So first we like to start out with, you know, what is Magic Spoon? Can you describe to us what you guys do and then follow up with your position there as well? For sure. So Magic Spoon is a healthy, gluten-free, high protein, low to no sugar cereal, depending upon the flavor, uh, cereal that is reminiscent of the cereals from your youth. The Magic Spoon brand is really fun. It's really colorful. We've really embraced this idea of just because you're eating something that's a little better for you doesn't mean it should be devoid of fun. So we've tried to give a little bit of both. I love that. And, you know, as soon as I saw the marketing that you guys have and just it took me right back to eating cereal, like watching cartoons, um, all that joyful, all those joyful memories that you have as a kid and being able to indulge while also maintaining a healthy cereal is awesome. And then, so what do you, what's your position at Magic Spoon? Yeah, I am the director of retention over at Magic Spoon. So we are a mighty team of two. It's myself and a senior associate on the team managing everything from core channels, email, SMS, as well as our strong subscription program and everything else that comes with generating strong lifetime revenue. Mm-hmm. So it's fair to say, you know, you know, <laughs> a fair amount of things about customer retention, which is amazing for our podcast here. And so I'm curious in your opinion, why is customer retention so important when you're building out that customer experience? For sure. Customer retention is extremely important. I'll give a very practical reason and then a more philosophical reason. Very practical reason is it is harder than ever to acquire customers. Back in the early days of D2C direct consumer, if you want to do DMVB, whatever your preferred acronym is, there was a big arbitrage opportunity in just getting into Facebook ads. 
So if you spent money on Facebook, suddenly you were getting a profit on your first purchase. You would bring in thousands of customers. It was easy to target people. Competition was low. We are not in that world anymore. Competition is steeper than ever, thanks to tools like Shopify and Malomo. Shout out Malomo. It's easier than ever to create a brand, start selling it direct to consumer, which means increased competition. And marketing has gotten even harder in our post iOS 14.5 world and just a little mini tangent for anyone not familiar, iOS 14.5 was the beginning of a big change in Apple's policy for how you could target consumers. And it has really made things like your Facebook ads, Pinterest ads, all of your digital marketing a lot harder. So not only are things more competitive, it's harder than ever to be really targeted with your marketing. So the cost to acquire customers has gone up a lot, which means you need to be making money from your customers after you've acquired them. Those first purchase profits aren't guaranteed, which means profit come from repeat purchases. That's where retention comes in. Now, philosophically, why it's important outside of all of those hard numbers, <laughs> For sure. your ability to retain customers is a direct reflection of the staying power of your brand. A brand that only retains like 5% of the customers it acquires is not going to be around for a long time, both for practical reasons and for the fact that you're not going to build enough traction by means of word of mouth, by means of your reputation as a strong product. You want your retention to be good because your retention being good is a reflection of how strong your brand is in the eyes of consumers. Well, I love that. I love both of those approaches, you know, from more of a technical side and then the philosophical side as well. And I think you made a great point about where digital marketing started out with like Facebook and that you were immediately, you could make a profit off of those margins for acquiring a customer. But now because that is so common practice, uh, that ability to acquire customers through that avenue has forever changed. And two, you know, you said that it is a direct reflection of being able to maintain your customers long-term. And I think that's that's very interesting. And I see, you know, why you're an expert in retention of being able to both look at the technical side and the trends that have changed, but then also the philosophical side and what it says about a brand, if they can keep customers coming back and make money off of repeat purchases. Thanks. Yeah, it's <laughs> a very interesting world to me. Yeah, it's fascinating. So then alongside that, can you tell us more about Magic Spoon's specific approach to customer retention? Yeah. So I will try to be as succinct as possible, but there are <laughs> a lot of things to cover. So yes. Magic Spoon has an interesting and I would say fairly unique business model set up in that we allow for both ad hoc purchasing and subscriptions. And while there are a number of businesses through which you can buy without having a subscription, a lot of the businesses that exist in the DTC space that push subscription make it really like the forefront. I won't name specific businesses, but there are a number that you'll go to where they'll default you to subscription or you'll try to find the non-subscription product and you can't find it. We don't do that. We allow customers to naturally select what's right for them. Maybe that's a subscription. Maybe that's not, but because of that, we're managing two very distinct ways of buying. So on the ad hoc side, there are a couple of things that we have available. One, just by means of like flavor selection, 
last year, and this was late September of last year, we made a big change where we unveiled Custom Bundle, which is the ability to get any four flavors of Magic Spoon in one case versus having to either choose like a preset mix of flavors or a single flavor. There's right. a huge difference for us, especially by means of like customer flexibility. It was a big thing that people wanted. So that's a key part of it is just like how we've offered the product. The other thing that we do on the ad hoc purchasing side that I would say is really important to us is our launches. We have limited edition flavor availability, typically every four to six weeks. These will be seasonal flavors. For example, right now we've got gingerbread available. I did see that one. Which, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. It's delicious. The box also, shout out to our design team, is so cute. But we'll run things like that once every four to six weeks to keep things exciting for both our most loyal customers who are often people who really engage with those launches, but also to give something new to someone who might be fresh to the Magic Spoon brand. Maybe you came on and you bought a variety pack and while the other flavors we have available are interesting to you, something that's really fresh, like a pumpkin chai in the middle of October might be more appealing. So we're running that as a key part of our ad hoc side of repeat purchasing, but we also have our subscription program. Our subscription program is about half of our repeat order volume. And it's a very interesting thing because we work really hard to make those programs work together, right? Mm -hmm. Limited edition flavors aren't just appealing to people who aren't on subscription. If you're a subscriber, you're probably a really loyal customer. You probably really want to engage with those limited edition launches. So we have special incentives for them to buy ad hoc when they're not getting their subscription renewals. We make their subscription management really easy, but it's really interesting because you have this dichotomy of like, if you're not on subscription, our goal is to develop a pattern for you, right? We want you to come back recurringly, like every month, whenever you run out, if you're on subscription, it's more of the opposite. You want them to keep a pattern that they've already built, that they've already signed up for. So it's a really careful balancing act there. Yeah. So would you say with that approach, because you mentioned something that you added on was that custom bundle that you were able to, you know, pick and choose the flavors that you wanted. How have you approached like changing your customer retention strategy? Like because you had those custom bundles and can now rope in like limited edition uh, flavors, has that changed any other, you know, aspects that fall under customer retention? Yeah. So the introduction of custom bundle, I'll talk about a couple of things that that did. So the first was it became more important to think about curating flavor mixes that might be appealing. Choice is a really positive thing for consumers in a lot of ways, but it's also a friction point. If you have to think about what you're buying, you may hesitate to buy. So we've put more effort into highlighting different fun ways people can mix and match flavors to get them started on thinking about what they want in a custom bundle. Obviously, we still have our normal flavor packs. You can get a single flavor, you can get a variety pack, but Custom Bundle is by far the most popular way people buy Magic Spoon. And as such, it's important for us to get people thinking about like, oh, what flavors do I want to try next? Because you might want to stick with a couple, you might want to change a couple out. Let's get you started on thinking about what those mixes look like. The other thing as it relates to subscription 
that really changed with Custom Bundle is that we needed to make our subscription program technically work with our custom bundle. Mm -hmm. A lot of brands don't have totally custom mixes. You can buy a single flavor. So that was a big hurdle for us. We actually saw a number of people canceling saying like, I want to buy a different mix of custom bundle flavors, but our subscription program at the time didn't support that. If you wanted to go from like two frosted, two fruity, to let's say three frosted and one fruity, you had to straight up cancel your subscription and start a new one. Once you cancel, even if you're dead set on buying Magic Spoon, you might hesitate to start a new one. That's just additional friction. So we made a number of backend changes. This was across Q1 of this past year to support custom bundle within subscriptions. You could like change out the flavors. You'll stay subscribed to the custom bundle product, but you can choose any mix of flavors anytime. And that had a really marked impact on our retention rates for subscription. We actually saw renewals on your like first renewal after signing up increase by five percentage points. Awesome. I was going to ask that. So you, you took the words right out of my mouth of after you had those updates on the back end and the technical side of being able to have that custom ability in the subscription model, what, you know, what did you see with customers coming back or were you reaching out to those customers who wanted that ability to custom, uh, to customize their cereal flavors of, you know, communicating to them, like, look at this new feature that we were mm -hmm. rolling out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we launched that, we actually did a big campaign to all of our active subscribers who were on custom bundle saying, Hey, we know this has been a pain point. We got that directly from our CX team and from our churn reasons within recharge. We know this is a problem for you. We've solved it. And not just that, here's exactly how you can manage this moving forward. Because in the world of subscription, I think that there is a lot of focusing on how you can get people to not think about the fact that they have subscription, but the most beneficial thing for you long-term is to make sure people know how to manage their subscriptions in a way that's right for them. If someone wants to cancel, they're gonna cancel. You can't just like hide right. the button away or make it so they don't even know that they have a subscription. The important thing is that the subscribers you have are informed and excited to stay on the subscription and you just reinforce the value props that you have to get them to wanna to stick around. Mm -hmm. Right, isn't that so funny about subscription models that it, it is kind of <laughs> this like hidden secret or, um, you know, like you said, pain point of you're trying to or it's been the common trend that brands might not want people to think about their subscription. But like you said, you want people who are subscribed to be very excited about your brand and know exactly what they need to do to get the most out of it and get what they want out of it. And so I, I always find it so interesting. And I, I'm curious to hear if you think, you know, subscription models are trending more towards that where a lot of brands are making sure that they're, they have very clear, clear communication with their subscribers of what they need to do, how they need to do it, the new things that they're rolling out and benefiting from. Yeah, I would say things are moving that direction. I would say the reason that they're moving that direction uh, is at least partially legal. There has <laughs> been a lot more enforcement of auto rollups for subscription. So going from like you signed up and we don't tell you that you have a renewal coming up or we don't disclose the terms of subscription. That is now legally something that you can't do within the state of California. And I think 
that is forcing a lot more brands to be like, oh, we should actually notify people because the bigger you get, the more likely you are to run into that issue. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a really positive thing. I don't know if the reason why people are making that change is like purely altruistic. Yeah, no, but... that's a good distinction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I hadn't thought about it in that term, um, in that in that way. So I think that's a very valid point of maybe it's out of necessity <laughs> now. Um, and that that's I, why a lot of people are jumping on that bandwagon. That's a great point. Yeah, but it's a great thing. And this is why we have consumer protections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So then with that, where did you start to, you know, when you were thinking about building out that customer retention strategy, like having both of those branches of ad hoc purchases and then subscription, It's if it's easier to, we can break it down. Um, if you kind of had like different starting points for those those strategies. Yeah. So I'll say both of those things were native to Magic Spoon. So I've been at Magic Spoon about a year and two or three months now. Magic Spoon's been around for about two and a half years. And both of those things were native to how Magic Spoon started. Now, what has changed there, and we'll talk about like where we started with what our current retention strategy is, is the balance of those things. I think for a long time, we approached subscription as sort of an afterthought where like, if you really want to be on subscription, you would join it. But we weren't as clear about what the value props were. Frankly, the way that we had originally set up subscription, the pricing model, which was 10% off plus free shipping was set up in a way that was like sort of the default, I think, in the D2C world. Mm-hmm. We as of the second half of this past year, decided to make a pretty big change to our subscription program. So we moved from that 10% off plus free shipping to 25% off with no free Mm. shipping, but still a greater discount. Actually, an overall savings of nearly a dollar per subscription for our subscribers. That one skyrocketed the signup rate. We had done A-B testing that pointed to it being a really big lever that people even though it's like the difference of a dollar that just saying like 25% off would really resonate with people. As soon as we said it live, we saw sign up rates skyrocket for our subscription program. And that I would say has changed how we think about managing the program, how we think about what our repeat behavior is going to look like based upon our subscription signups. That wasn't the question that you asked. No, I love that though. (laughs) Going to what our current retention strategy is and how we've arrived here, I would say it's a couple of different things. I think the starting point, and this is my recommendation for anyone who's new to a brand or starting a brand, is to go through the buying experience as a customer and see how you would feel just totally divorced from your own investment in the brand, right? To identify what the gaps are. So to go through each stage and saying, if I sign up for the email list, here's the sort of information I do or do not get. Do I feel like I'd be convinced to buy? After I buy, do I feel like I have adequate information about my purchase? When is it coming? Again, shouts to Malomo for making that really clear and easy to get but a lot of brands aren't as clear about like, here's where your order is at this point in time. And that's a make or break thing for customer trust. So going through the process as a buyer instead of as someone who's part of the brand, I think is the first starting point. 
Once you identify some of those gaps, it's important to either look at customer survey data that you may have, any customer research data of what pain points may exist. That comes down to also working with your customer experience team. That is the starting point for a lot of the modifications that we'll make to our post-purchase journey, especially by means of like early in the customer life cycle is understanding where are tickets coming from topic wise? Are people reaching out because they don't know where their order is? Are people reaching out because they don't know how to manage their subscription? All of those things inform what we do really like post-purchase, post-subscription signup to make sure that there's absolute information clarity. And then supplementing that with additional survey data. Like I think a really underappreciated thing, I think a thing that I've even taken a while to come around to is if you're doing testing and you're like, oh, people seem to resonate with this, people click for this reason or people sign up for this reason. I think it's the marketers instinct to just be like, oh, that's just what the data says. We'll follow the data. But to take the next step and just straight up reach out to people and say, why did you do this? Mm-hmm. We reached out to people, for example, on our email list saying, why did you sign up for our list? Just like straight up tell us, like, why are you on the list? And like, if you're still around on the list, what made you stick around? It was really interesting to hear. We went in, I think, assuming that it was to get a discount or because you can get a free box of cereal or a free case of cereal through a contest we run. And the biggest answer why people signed up is because they were genuinely interested in more information about the brand. They wanted more info on our nutritionals, more info about what makes us different. And then we also asked them, well, why'd you stick around after you got that? And then they were like, the biggest discount, please. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So at least you got some clarity on that aspect. Um, I was going to ask what they, they had said as well. So that is interesting to hear, though, of, you know, sometimes with asking for like surveys or reviews or things asking the opinion of your customers, it does lead to maybe a different way that you approach your customer retention strategy or a different way that you optimize. And I think that's like we were talking about earlier with the privacy updates, that's going to be a shift in understanding the post-purchase side of things and using that data to then optimize for your strategy going forward. And so it's Mm -hmm. very interesting, like you said, to not just take it like data wise, but then also get some qualitative aspects to that and um, some narratives from your customers. Yeah, and I think that is a really critical thing in this new world where I think first party data becomes increasingly important is the most valuable source of information you're going to have is your customer base. And if you can build a relationship where they feel like if they give you feedback that you listen to it and then you can routinely ask for feedback that's really valuable to you, that creates just an extremely powerful flywheel of being able to optimize your behavior in a way that's best for your customers. Your customers like you more for it, so they buy more from (laughs) you. You acquire more customers via word of mouth and then you ask them for feedback too and it just continues to spin. Hmm, Right, and I have to ask too, you earlier had said that you recommend people or brands go through their customer experience and see what different pain points are and the communication that you're getting, you know, after you place an order. So I have to ask, is that how you approached, you know, your strategy with 
magic spoon of like going through and seeing where the gaps were in the customer experience. Yeah, that's where I started on my day one is going through that experience before I'd been really not indoctrinated into the brand, <laughs> but you know, you join a company and you're like, I love the people. <laughs> like I'm going to look for the best, like starting fresh and saying like, as a customer, how would I feel going through this experience? And then once you've crafted your opinion, talk to the CX team, look at the research that you already have, do more surveying, and then look at what other brands are doing too. But I think it's important for you to have that perspective from like really fresh mind of like, how do I feel before I'm really like pro my company? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> to see yeah. if I would genuinely be happy with this experience or if I'd be frustrated. Mm -hmm. I think that's great advice. And is that when you started to orient towards like post-purchase and looking more into that? Cause from, you know, Maloma, our side of things, I think a lot of the aspect that we're doing with brands is kind of educating on what the post-purchase experience is because i think mm -hmm. it is a newer um a newer avenue for brands to pursue and so i'm curious you know when did you start to kind of get cued into the importance of customer retention but then you know more specifically the post-purchase experience and how it aids in that retention yeah I would say the experience that I got around the importance of the post-purchase journey came from, I, a couple roles back was client facing, working with a variety of retail brands, everyone from more omni-channel like Vince, the like fat, the fashion company, um, they've got stores, they have outlet, they have online all the way to more D2C like a Bonobos where, you know, they have the guide shops, but they're mainly online presence. You can actually only buy online, you know, if it's through the guide shops and seeing that when you look at how customers buy primarily by looking at the standard inter-purchase time, the time between a first order and a second order or a second order and a third order, there is this big discrepancy by how customers buy versus how some brands and not those brands in particular, but just how brands would talk to their customers, mainly in that you'd have someone make a first purchase and then immediately get hit with, how would you like to buy more product right now? Right. You just bought jeans. Do you want to buy another pair of jeans tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And it was missing any context around why that was a good purchase frankly like wasn't as informative about like where is my order how do i know how to track it all of those things and when you actually look at like why a customer who goes from making a first purchase to making a repeat purchase does come back a lot of that hinges upon things that aren't related to that initial buying experience by means of the product, right? The marketing comes back to the product and how great the brand is, but the things that people care about are, did you deliver the product on a time that I expected to get it? If I had an issue, did your CX team help me thoroughly, thoughtfully, and kindly with it? Those are the make or break points early in the customer journey. And that's where the customer post-purchase journey becomes so important because if you sever trust by not giving enough information on where the product is, by not updating if there are delays, by not having your CX team default to being as helpful as possible, as thorough as they can be, that trust cannot be won back with an effective marketing email. 
So it's really important early in the customer journey to start with trust and trust comes from the post-purchase experience. It's making sure that they feel good about the order that they made, that they feel confident they're going to receive it. And if they have problems, you're going to take care of them. Right. So it, it, it kind of, everything stems from building that trust and having that proper communication so that, like you said, you can make sure that customers know before they're getting a marketing email of buying a new pair of jeans before they even, you know, got the first pair anyways. I think that's a great point and it it helps just to understand, I think, like you said, walking through the customer journey of where you're getting those pain points and understanding the gaps in the information. And so with that and communicating through Magic Spoon, what are, you know, those specific points that you think like we're asking the customers or sending them an email, of course, with Maloma, like the order tracking and um, everything up until their package is delivered to them. But what other, you know, like communications surveys or something like that, are you guys having to make sure that you're building out and asking the right questions? Yeah, in terms of both asking the right questions and giving the right information, I'll talk about it a little bit by means of where you're at in your life cycle and the event that took place. So for your first purchase, you know, obviously, and this is true of any order, we want to have that order confirmation, shipping. If you have delays, we'll have a delay notification and delivery notification. And we have shipping and delivery actually both an email and an SMS because SMS is a place where people want to get that really high priority content. Right. You don't want to spam people with an SMS every day about like, do you want to buy again? Do you want to buy again? But people want to know where their stuff is. Mm -hmm. So that's a place where you can really leverage that 100% open rate viewability channel. But outside of that, in the first purchase journey, you also want to think about how you reinforce the purpose of the brand to the customer and make them feel good about the order. You know, oftentimes if someone makes a more expensive order and while Magic Spoon isn't crazy expensive as like a standalone e-commerce order for food, it can feel like quite an investment. It's $39 for a four pack if you're not on subscription or it's $29.25 if you sign up for a subscription. And that's a lot, especially to people if they think about it in terms of cereal. So it's important for us to reinforce why that was a good decision. So telling about the brand story, reinforcing the health value, some of our like founder story as well of like why this product exists and then supplementing that with also customer reviews, really reminding people if you have that post-purchase regret, which is a very common thing across like all e-com, unless you spent like $5, most people will be like, oh, should I have spent that money? <laughs> Right. So yeah. In those initial touch points outside of the really critical informational things, also reinforcing like, yes, this was a good decision. This product is quality, is made for you. Here's what other people have to say is really critical. And then immediately after we think they've received the product, then asking for their feedback because we want to know what their opinions are while it's fresh. So we actually send out our review request. Uh, I believe day 12 uh, can confirm that, but at day 12 um, and people typically get their product three to four days after ordering. So it gives them a week to actually try the cereal and develop some sort of an opinion. And we want to know that while it's still fresh in your mind, while you've got real critical lens on so we can continue to improve. 
that's the first purchase journey. The other thing I think is really important is our subscription signup journey. Through that, you're not just ordering a product, you are registering for a new means of buying and that being a recurring basis. So on top of the normal emails you'd get for your post-purchase journey, that is all of the order, shipping, delivery confirmations, and the brand reinforcement, we also send specific, and we've got three of them, subscription-specific emails to reinforce. One, here are the savings you're going to get, because let's make you feel good about it. You're saving nearly $10, so there shouldn't be a lot of regret. But two, here's how you're going to manage things moving forward because you're going to want to change your subscription. So we give direct guidance on here's how you access your customer portal. Here's how you can change the frequency of delivery. Here's where you can go to change the product that you're going to receive on a recurring basis. We reinforce that over the first three emails that are tied to subscription to make sure not only are you educated about what you're getting in the subscription program, but when it comes time to make a change, because most people are going to want to change some flavor or their timing, or maybe they skip something while they're out for Christmas, you know, you'll be able to do that without reaching out to our CX team, because the minute that you have to reach out and you feel like your order is being held captive by <laughs> someone else, that creates frustration that doesn't need to be. And our CX team is amazing and often gets really positive responses and people leave much happier than before they even reach out. But ideally we make it so you don't have to reach out. So we do a lot of subscription onboarding. That's a lot more informational to make that a really comfortable journey. I think that's awesome that you guys do that onboarding, like you called it for subscription models, because I don't think that's very common practice. But even as you were speaking to it, I was like, that is extremely helpful from you know, the consumer side of having that information probably before you even know that you need it. And that goes back to putting yourself, you know, as the, um, as you're building out your customer retention strategy of trying to put yourself in their shoes and seeing what are they going to need? You know, what can we predict? What information can we predict will be helpful for our customers in the future? Yeah. And that comes back to working with our CX team and looking at those reasons why people churn and finding the ways to resolve them. And a lot of it comes down to just getting the right information to customers. And obviously not everyone sticks around subscription and not everyone becomes a repeat customer, but for the people that's right for, we want them to feel really confident. For sure. And to, I wanted to get your take on this because I think you had mentioned it a little bit earlier about the you know, the health benefits and making customers feel really good about their purchase and making sure that they don't have, you know, that regret after they purchase. And so I think that speaks to the commitment that Magic Spoon makes to their customers of, you know, we're, we have a healthy cereal, but it's also really, uh, really tasty and making sure that you're caring for your customer outside of, you know, making sure that everything tied to the product and buying and shipping and uh, the information that you need is given to the customer, but then just reassuring and saying to that commitment that, you know, their health and their well-being is at the forefront. And that's tied into, you know, why Magic Spoon has been founded as a brand in the first place. For sure. 
I mean, Magic Spoon has what we call our 100% happiness guarantee, right. which is you place an order with Magic Spoon and it does not make you happy, we'll give you a full refund, no questions asked. The goal that we have is to give you something that isn't just healthy for you, but inspires joy. We want to bring you back to childhood, Saturday morning cartoons, eating a bowl of cereal, but also you're an adult, so maybe we don't have the sugar crash that comes with it. Right. And then along the way, we're gonna inspire you with little moments of joy, whether that's an email featuring our favorite pups of Magic Spoon, <laughs> whether that's some really inspired box art and games on the back, but our promise to our customers is 100% happiness guarantee. And we try to make sure that comes through in everything we do. Mm. And I love that so much. And I'm curious if you have anything on the spot, like how have customers responded to that like happiness guarantee? I mean, we have so much brand love. I honestly struggle to believe it sometimes. <laughs> um, when we look at the responses we get to both when people reach out with CX tickets, but also We'll have emails that will have come out from Gabby, one of our co-founders, or Sarah, who's on our community team. And people will respond so passionately, just being like, I love you so much. This is everything to me. I want to wear it. And I'm going to blown away because I would say I'm a little more of a cynic. I'm like, we sell <laughs> cereal on the internet. And it's really great. And it's good for you. But the sort of love that we get from customers blows me away. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, their philosophical side, like we started out from that, you know, <laughs> um, that's, yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's awesome. And I think it says a lot if, you know, a customer can trust a brand from multiple avenues of just, you know, like the technical side of things, but that, like we're saying, the philosophical side of things of just like loving a brand and having that be something that does bring joy into, you know, your, your daily life. Sure. And one thing I wanted to ask you about as well is I know we've been talking about putting yourself in the customer's shoes and making sure that you're getting that uh, data, like uh, that data from your customers. But what have you found, and you might not have thought about this before, but to be the most effective way of listening to your customers? Oh, this is a really good question. And I think <laughs> I'll give a couple answers here because I think you listen to your customers in a number of ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of it's a little more direct. I think it's really powerful to survey your customers and ask them directly, like, how did you feel about this? Or why did you do this in a way that doesn't guide them in any particular way? Listening to what CX shares in our weekly all hands meeting, we have our highlights from our CX teams about what people are talking about, what the biggest issues are, and what the biggest positives are. I think that's really important. But I also think that you can listen to your customers really well through your data. People, I think, can do a lot to focus on where are customers and how are customers buying. If you look in your GA data, and you're talking about what your conversion rate is. If you're a brand that says, we have a pretty low conversion rate, I don't understand why we're not up there with the magic spoons of the world and a six, 7% conversion rate. You can look and break that data down to see where are people dropping off in your purchase flow? 
Are people right. adding to cart? Are people getting to that initial checkout page? If people aren't buying from you, are they all doing that in the same way? Is there some heterogeneity in how people do or do not come back? I think going back to some of the experience I've had working with retail brands, you can see if you look at their overall repeat rates, you might be like, oh, this is average. You look at the repeat rate for someone who comes in on a particular product and it's really low compared to the others. And the default there is to say, oh, I think it's tied to those being lower quality customers. It could very well be that you have a lower quality product in your catalog. Yeah. So to be able to look at that data and take it seriously, not as an indictment of the customers who are buying, but maybe on what your strategy is with that product or with that channel, and then reach out to those people, blending your customer data with real like social listening of reaching out, surveying, hearing what they're saying, I think it's extremely important. So I know that's a sort of roundabout answer, but I do think that it's a combination of things. And while surveying is really important and listening to CX team is really important, getting really familiar with your data in a way that is actionable and can guide some of those questions that you ask your customers, I think is also extremely powerful and I think underappreciated in a world where there's so much data that people often don't know what to do with it. I think that's a great response and having, you know, it doesn't even, like you said, not roundabout at all because we hadn't spoken about the importance of data. And you made a great point of focusing in or trying to see if there's common trends of where customers drop off in their customer journey. Like you said, if they're adding to the cart, but then never making the purchase, you can then take that back and work with your team of saying, you know, why is this a pain point for customers? What is the difference of, mm -hmm. you know, they can easily add it to their cart and we're seeing that a lot, but then they don't actually make the purchase or whatever, you know, whatever trends are for your specific brand. So I think, I think that's a phenomenal answer. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> and uh, to hit you again with a bigger question, one of the things that we like to end on is, you know, a resource that you would recommend to someone just starting out in the space or something that you wish you had known when you had just began. Um, so overall advice, what would be, you know, one or two things that you'd say uh, you bring into your daily life as a director of retention? Oh, things that are important. I'll first talk to the more junior people. And I think this is important for senior people. We'll start there. Getting really good with getting to data that is actionable and data not just for data sake, I think is an extremely important skill to develop early on. I think especially in the world of direct consumer where you have so much data at your fingertips, it can become really easy to go build a 30 slide deck where every slide you think is like make or break, like this is important, that's important, this important. And I can guarantee you not everything in a 30 slide deck is important. If you spend 20 hours on an analysis, chances are, you actually have like two things that are very important. And to be able to look at that giant blue sky of data and then compress all of that down into the most important one, two or three takeaways, I think is extremely important. I think 
people can get a little lost in trying to do a little bit of everything. But for unlocks and retention, it often comes down to a couple of things, whether that's price, it's product quality, it's understanding of your value props, but getting down to those core insights, I think is really important. I think on the more like high level there, I think it's really important if you're a more senior person working on retention, frankly, this is a skill that I'm trying to develop here to be able to have conversations with other folks in the space, whether that is through direct outreach or if you're VC funded going through your investors to get in touch with other people to really understand what is incremental to the business. I think it can be really easy to look at the playbook that the quote unquote best in class are running and say, all right, we have to copy that playbook. Glossier is doing this or Away is doing that or Everlane is doing this. So we're just gonna run that because it works for us. But oftentimes those companies are still taking risks, right? And right. those things may not be guaranteed to be working for them. And those things also may not translate to your brand. That was a big thing for me going from my first marketing roles were at Hulu and then was working with retailers and now selling cereals. Like not everything translates. Mm -hmm. So to be able to have honest conversations with folks doing this at other companies and other categories and saying like, what do you think is actually really moving the needle for your business? I think is really important. Yeah. Well, those are phenomenal tips. And I like that you took the approach of both, you know, a junior level and a higher up level, because I think that's very helpful for um, people in the space to take away and to really think about and apply to their own strategy. So thank you for that. And overall, this has been just fantastic and what a great note to end on. So thank you, Chandler, for taking the time to spend with us and share all your delightful insights. Thank you, Mariah. I've had a really good time. That is it for this week's episode. I truly hope you enjoyed. There weren't a ton of facts that I had to fact check. Um, one thing that I did want to include was Chandler references the difference between acquisition and retention. And I thought this would be a fun stat to add in here. So the probability of selling to an existing customer is between 60 and 70% while selling to a new customer is only between five and 20%. Even more so, existing customers are 31% more likely to spend more on that average order value with your business. So I thought that really played into the argument that Chandler was making and that was really it. Chandler was a great addition to our podcast guests and can't wait to keep growing that list and I hope you all will join for the journey. Until next time, thanks for listening. Bye.